The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. What's good, everybody, and welcome to Sports Talk New York here on Long Island's WGBB. I'm Andy Sugoff. I'm your host tonight here on this Sunday, August 20th, 2023. On the show tonight, we got Antoine Saley joining us in just a minute to talk about the Jets, and I'm going to have to vent about the Yankees for a little while because they deserve it. Before we begin, I just want to remind everyone that you can follow the show on Facebook, X, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You can visit our website at WGBBSportsTalk.com, where you can listen to all past shows and check out any upcoming show information. And if you don't already, we invite you to subscribe to the podcast, WGBB Sports Talk New York, on iTunes, Spotify, or just about anywhere you listen to podcasts. Now that we got that out of the way, it's August. We know what that means, especially because the Yankees and Mets are out of playoff contention. It's football season. And joining me tonight from the New York Daily News, uh, Jets beat writer Antoine Staley. Antoine, thanks for taking the time tonight. Yeah, you didn't enjoy the Yankees getting swept this weekend? As a matter of fact, I didn't. It, 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 <laughs> I, this, I'm a Red Sox fan, so I had to I had to rub that I, in there. So. It, it, it all, all good. I'm I'm used to it. I got I got a friend of mine that we have a running bet every year on the Yankees Red Sox series. I, I've been on the losing end like the last like three years, so I've had to wear a Red Sox hat more often than I'd like to admit to. Yeah, yeah, it's like you're gonna be wearing that a lot um, in the next few, especially this year. So good yeah. luck with that. Yeah, it's, it sits in the back of the drawer, collecting dust, and it's it just I can I can hear it snickering in the background. Like <laughs> you're gonna have to wear me tonight. <laughs> but yeah, I do. Go ahead. yeah, but let's talk about more fun things. You know, like like jet football. Like let's get excited for that. You know, ex- expectations are high. Like you know. Now that Aaron Rodgers is in the building, things are things are pointing in a nice direction, or you know at least we hope so. Uh, you've you've been out there at One Jets Drive for the last month or so. What what are you seeing the vibe at training camp with everything going? Well, I think this is a team that believes they can win the championship. You know, and I think that all changed when you know obviously when Rodgers came in the building, like he really changed the culture of the franchise and. Uh, have those players, like even the young players, believing that, you know, even a team that's coming off a 7-10 year has a chance to win the Super Bowl. So, I mean, whether or not that's true or not, you know, remains to be seen. You know, a lot of things have to happen, you know, in between now and obviously, you know, January and February. But, you know, they, they it's a certain confidence and just the swagger with this team. And you can just tell from just talking to players and coaches or just even observing them, you know, doing practice. So I think that's the biggest thing that I've taken away from just watching them the last month or so. And, you know, we've seen the fans have a really good engagement when they've had the the practices open to the public. Do you see the team kind of feeding off of that when there are several thousand Jet fans, you know, really excited to watch them, even if it's just practice and, you know, it's it's not it's not a Sunday game day? Yeah, I, I think so. I mean, I think it's it's different. Like, I think training camp has been a lot different this year simply because, you know, you got a ton of fans just coming out there. Obviously, the tickets are getting ate up, you know, as far as, like, practices and things of that nature. It's one more practice that 
fans will be able to deserve this upcoming week um, leading up to the Giants game. But, yeah, I think it's just a different energy that I think the players are kind of feeding off, especially the players that were there last year. So, yeah, I definitely think, you know, I asked Dalvin Cook when he came, you know, when he signed with the team, I was like, you know, how do you, how do you feel about the player? Like the fans were shouting their name out, and you know he enjoyed it. Like he, you know, it was kind of like it was kind of reminding him like a bit of a, like a college, you know, recruiting visit. You know, obviously he went to Florida State and played a lot of college football, and you know was successful, one of the best running backs I think I've seen in, on the collegiate level. But yeah, I think that's kind of you know what people are reminded of too when you know you come out there reserving practices and things of that nature too. It's just you know, it gives the players a new type of energy, something that I think they're going to, you know, carry over, especially, you know, week one and, you know, get the Bills, and then obviously they got the Patriots week three, too, as well. We're talking with Antoine Staley from the New York Daily News. So this week they do play the Giants, and it's the last preseason game. Uh, it was announced that Aaron Rodgers is going to play in that game. Are you expecting just three handoffs and back to the bench, or do you think we might actually see him throw a couple passes in this game? I think it was. I think he'll throw a, a pass or two. I don't expect it to be in there very long. I'm actually surprised they're actually playing them. I thought, you know, it's just kind of a bit lip service from Babasala that they were thinking about playing them. But yeah, I imagine he might play. I don't expect any more than two series, to be quite honest with you, because you know I don't know. You know, in today's age with pre with preseason and you know the injuries that happen, I don't know if it's necessarily worth that. You know, your starters going out there playing a substantial period of time. It used to be even like three, four years ago that players would play. You know, you have your dress rehearsal game. You would have your, you know, first preseason game. You might play a series. A second, you might play a quarter. And third, you might play, you know, entire first half. That's no longer the case now. I think people understand that, especially with the more games, the 17-game season, that it's better just to, you know, you, you value the joint practices more than obviously the preseason games. So, and obviously Aaron Rodgers has played, you know, some joint practices against Carolina and Tampa Bay. So I think that at a certain point you feel like he's going to be ready for the upcoming season. And I think that's probably why he'll end up playing like a limited series against the Giants, especially considering it is a, a Giants, you know, quote unquote home game on Saturday as well. Uh, and in least last in the few preseason games, uh, who have you been impressed by, like that maybe is fighting for that fifty fiftieth, fifty first, fifty second roster spot, or you know like any sleepers you see making it to the final fifty three? Uh, I mean, it's I don't know if there's many. This isn't the team that they have, but you know I think David Gibson is somebody that uh, has been really impressive considering his you know ability on special teams too as well and. You know, he's made some plays as a receiver, too. So, I definitely think he's somebody that, if I had to pick, if the Jets are going to keep six receivers, I think he would probably be the guy. Simply because I know a lot of people like Jason Brownlee and, you know, Malik Taylor has also made some plays, too, as well. But, you know, we're talking about a team with the Jets that's still looking for a guy that's, you know, going to be a consistent returner. And I think, you know, having Gibson there and what he's able to do in the preseason where you're looking against the Browns and also last night against Tampa Bay, I definitely think, you know, he's kind of put himself in that conversation to be that sixth receiver that can come in and, you know, maybe make a few plays there too, here and there, but also, you know, be a factor on special teams. So that's probably a guy that I would definitely look at too as well. One of the guys I've been looking at, like I, and I, I watched him at Pittsburgh, was uh, running back Israel Vanakanda. And we've seen him have a very effective preseason. And now with the addition of 
of Dalvin Cook. There's now five running backs in that room, which could be a very deep running back room when Brees Hall is fully healthy and back up to speed. Like, who, who do you see potentially being the odd man out of, of like the bottom three of Abanikanda, Carter, and Bam Knight? Well, I, I never thought uh, Izzy would get cut because, you know, he's a draft pick. So I figured, like, they would keep him, especially considering his age and everything. So, yeah, and the fact that they didn't play Michael Carter last night, I think that kind of says, like, how he feels, they, how they feel about him in the pecking order. So I think you look at Bam Knight, um, he's somebody that, yeah, I thought he struggled against a little bit against Tampa Bay, had obviously a fumble, and, you know, you look at his return against uh, the Buccaneers, he ran out of the end zone and probably should have took, taken the knee there and started the 25-yard line. I think he might be the man, odd man out. They would, they probably would like to stash him on the practice squad, to be quite honest with you, but I have a feeling that if they were to do that or to try to do that, if they waive him, then somebody else would probably pick him up too because it's other teams they have running back needs too as well. And I feel like he can fit in somewhere else to be a second or third running back on a, on somebody else's roster. But, yeah, I feel like he probably felt the pressure a little bit of trying to display his skills there knowing that, you know, you obviously you signed Dalvin Cook there and, you know, you didn't play by the corner and you know, Brees isn't going anywhere. So, yeah, it's really, you know, between him and Izzy and, I really didn't think Izzy was going to go anywhere, you know, to be quite honest with you. So, Bam seems like, you know, especially him being a undrafted free agent last year, probably the odd man out there. We're talking with Antoine Staley. One of the things I did see last night, and I, I was pretty pretty happy with, was uh, Mekhi Becton getting reps at right tackle. And, you know, we haven't seen him play in two years. Uh, he had a very strong rookie season, then, unfortunately, he's been dealing with injuries. Uh can you win that starting job on the right side with Dwayne Brown likely going to be at the starting left tackle when he returns from injury? It's just a matter of can he stay healthy. That's basically what it boils down to. I think the team is really being very cautious because he's had limited football the last couple of years. But, you know, the plays that he I've seen this year, I mean, he's let up one sack throughout the course of the preseason, which, you know, if you look at that particular sack, and it may or may not have been his fault, but – you know, I think he's looked, you know, really good and, you know, really comparable to what he, what he saw, what we saw as a rookie, when he was a rookie, excuse me, you know, in 2020. So, yeah, I definitely think that I think he, if they, they feel like he can, you know, take the snaps and be able to, um, continue to progress in the offense and, you know, do his thing and look high as well as he did last night, then yeah, I definitely think he has an opportunity to, to win the right tackle position, but it's ultimately going to come down to how the coaching staff feels about him, and ultimately also as well, does he start practicing there at right tackle? It's beginning this upcoming week too, uh, leading up to the Giants game. And like we've we've seen over the last few years, and really more close to like the last ten since uh, Nick Mangle and Demarcus Ferguson retired, uh, offensive line has been a little bit of a weak point for the Jets. And with with that being with them having a guy like Aaron Rodgers who's not 27 anymore, while he still has some mobility, he doesn't have 27 year old Aaron Rodgers mobility. Is that still a, a point of concern for this for this organization? Well, yeah. I mean, obviously, I mean, even if he was 27 years old, I still think the offensive line would be a concern because I think this, you know, the this the biggest concern of their team and probably their weak link right now. I mean. Until Dwayne Brown comes up, it's like starts practicing. I don't know if we necessarily know how good their offensive line can can or cannot be. 
So I think Brown will be fine once he gets in there. But ultimately, again, you know, he's has he's been on the PUP list since they met the OTAs. So we have no idea like what he's going to look like once he starts practicing. And then not only that, I mean, ABT was out, and Lazarus Tucker, and also Lincoln Thompson were both out uh, last week too as well. So. Yeah, when you had those type of injuries on the offensive line, and it was very reminiscent of what happened last year, to be quite honest with you, and uh, nobody wants to repeat of that when you had 11 different offensive line that play games for you. Yeah, I'd, li- I'd like to not think about that again. Like, that, was, that wasn't that was fun, Espe- especially November, December, when literally everybody was hurt. And, like, I, I think I might have played offensive line one game, for all I remember. Uh so like this year, obviously one of the biggest stories was the Jets being on hard knocks, and there was a lot of trepidation around the Jet organization to be on hard knocks. Have you seen what like with the cameras around? Have you seen attitudes kind of change on that, or things kind of just been going as normal, just with more cameras around? I don't think people care. I, I think hardly people even notice that the cameras are actually there, including us. Like we're there every day, and the only way we can really tell. Like they're out there is because of their T-shirts, but yeah, I don't think the play. I don't think the players necessarily know this. I mean, I'm sure they do to an extent, but you know, also they also have one just drives where they, you know, they also have a you know, uh, documentary or weekly series on that too as well. So there's always a lot of cameras around anyway. But you know, just just talking to players and you know some of the coaches, I don't think they necessarily want. I think their trepidation was just simply because they they didn't necessarily know how much access you know, hard knocks would want, but once they were able to kind of control, I guess, a bit of their narrative and they got in there and learned what they wanted to do, then, you know, they they were fine with it. So I don't, I don't think the players and coaches necessarily mind was, you know, hard knocks and everything came about. Uh, I'm Team One Jets Drive, just putting that out there for the record. I, I think their production quality is fantastic. Uh, uh- both, I, I think I think both of them bring different. I think with hard knocks, like you, you get a more sense of like the play, like it's more player focused and things of that nature too. So I think both of them are really good on um, just what they do differently. So this year, it, and it seems like every year because the it's just well, the way things seem to turn out. The Jets have a very tough schedule, especially at the especially to open the season before their bye week. You know they have they have six incredibly tough games. Uh, where do you realistically see them being after those six games? And I know a lot of that it's hard to say because we haven't seen Rodgers play meaningful reps in a game yet. We haven't seen how the chemistry is in an actual game setting yet. But where where do you realistically see them at after like going into their bye week? I won't necessarily like be on the record saying what I think their record is going to be, but what I will say is that. You know, especially at the first two weeks, like, you definitely need to split between, you know, at least between Buffalo and Dallas. And then you got New England, and I think it's going to come down. If you're going to make the playoffs and, you know, possibly contend to win the division, then you definitely need to sweep New England. Oh, no, that's not – I don't think that's going to be an easy thing because the Patriots always have a really good defense, they have a good running game, and their offensive line is very good too as well. And then – not only that, you got the Chiefs and the Eagles, and you know, oh yeah, the, the game against the Broncos that a lot of uh, Jets players are, I'm sure, circling on their calendar. So yes, if you can, you know, just have your head above water, you know, after the first six weeks too, maybe three and three, four and two. Then not saying that's what I think they're going to be, but you know, I think that would be a good situation for them because I think 
at least on paper, you know, because we don't know what teams are going to be good at entering the season or going into this year. But I definitely think if you can just be like uh, like 500 or a little bit above that, then that gives you an opportunity to make the playoffs and possibly win the division. Otherwise, you know, you're talking you're two and four, one and five, and you know that's a bit of a death sentence for really any team, no matter how good you are. Yeah, that, that's for sure. And uh, as I said at the beginning of the show, you know, fans are fans are seeing you know very high setting high expectations for the team because they they're excited and they're they're ready for they're ready for a change. It's been over a decade since they made the playoffs. Like, do you think fans might be you know going a little bit overboard and like maybe need to take a step back, or do you think they're setting a lot of them are setting their expectations in the in the right ballpark? Uh, I mean, fans, it's called, for, you know, I mean, fans are short for fanatic anyway, so, I mean, I don't know if fans can, all of them be realistic, but I, I think, um, I think if you believe that this is a playoff team, then yeah, I think you're in the right ballpark. If you think that they could be a Super Bowl team, I don't know. Like, I really don't know. Like, I don't think anybody necessarily knows. I don't think, you know, I think the Jets believe that they can internally, but, you know, ultimately, I don't think they necessarily know how good they are until once they, they get the full offensive line, their top five out there, and obviously playing with Aaron Rodgers and seeing how that chemistry is, too. So, yeah, I, I don't know if there, is there a Super Bowl contender, because I still think the Chiefs and the Bengals are tier one, and I think, you know, everybody else is kind of trying to catch up to that. But, you know, they have 17 games to try to do that, and, you know, we'll see what happens. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I would be... I don't think I would put them in the Super Bowl uh, category just yet, but I do think this is a playoff team that can make the playoffs and possibly win a playoff game. And, you know, if fans believe that they will be a successful season, then, you know, I completely agree with them. If they don't, then, you know, again, fans is short for the fanatic. So, <laughs> so no, nobody can be ever, you know, totally satisfied. Like, not all the fans anyway. That is certainly true. As we're talking with Antoine Staley from the Daily News, I just got like I just got one more for you before I let you go. Uh, the the AFC is very deep this year, and the Jets are playing the cream of the crop in the AFC, especially within their own division, playing Kansas City. Oh, is there what is there a specific game? I, I know that the team is looking forward to the Denver game after Sean Payton's comments. Which games on the schedule intrigue you the most? I mean, I. Outside of the obvious, I mean, obviously the Chiefs and the Eagles. I mean, you have to, you know, <laughs> circle those. Um, I mean, you know, we, I mean, we fought against Buffalo, yeah, of course. Um, I'm curious to see how they play against the Patriots because they hadn't beat the Patriots since 2015. You know, you can say whatever you want to about New England and where they are. They they stand in the AFC East and the pecking order, but you know, the fact remains that the Jets haven't beaten them in eight years. So, yeah, you, that's definitely an intriguing game. I think, you know, the second Buffalo game is, is a game that I'll be looking at, too, as well. Miami, I think Black Friday, because I think Miami and the Jets are kind of – they're kind of in the same boat, to be quite honest with you. I think Miami is real reliant on Tua. Can he stay healthy if he can? Then I think the Dolphins could win the division. If not, then they're a team that, especially considering how good the Jets have improved, how much the Jets have improved and – you know, where the Patriots are, you know, I think they've improved too. That if two is not healthy, then I don't know if they're a playoff team too as well. So those are kind of just, you know, games as far as like on the snippet, you know, that's kind of looking forward to as well. 
Well, Antoine, thank you so much for coming on tonight. And uh, you enjoy your Red Sox sweep. I will uh, just silently cry in the corner when, we, when I go to break. Hey, it's all good, man. You know, the Red Sox, I don't think the Red Sox, well, the Red Sox guess, guess they could make the playoffs nowadays, but, you know, I don't have much faith for in them. But at least they at least they own the Yankees uh, the last, well, couple of years, so they have that going for them. But I, they, I, they I, have, you know, I hate the fact that I like Devers because all he does is, is kick the crap out of him. Yankee killer. Yankee killer. I, 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 I hate I hate the fact that I like him. Oh, and, <laughs> I mean, you can't like the man's good against the Yankees. Like he's like he's been owning the Yankees since he came into the league. So yeah, you can't hate on the man. No, I no, I can't. I, I wish he was playing the corner for the Yankees instead of beating them every single time. Oh, Antoine, <laughs> thank you so thank you so much for coming on tonight. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Take care. You as well. All right, that was Antoine Staley from the Daily News. Uh, got to have a little got to have a little fun with the uh, with the fact that the Yankees are completely incapable of winning right now, but. Like you said, you know, there's there is a lot of excitement around the Jets, and as there rightfully should be. This is a team that hasn't made the playoffs in 12 years. The fans are hungry for it, and we, we, we as Jet fans do have those expectations because now that Aaron Rodgers is in the building, now that Alan Lazard is in the building, they've re-signed Quentin Williams, Sauce Gardner's back. Everyone, and I'm knocking on wood, actually knocking on wood as I say this, for the most part, all the main players are healthy. There are a couple people that we do want to see come back, but it's, it's not like the last couple of years where there was a devastating injury in the preseason that derailed things, like in 2021 when Carl Lawson ruptured his Achilles, or last year when Zach Wilson had hurt his knee in the preseason and then we weren't sure what was going to happen and things kind of spiraled from there. This year so far it's it's been relatively okay health-wise. When Dwayne Brown and Elijah Vera Tucker come back for the left side of the line, that should certainly help things. So we're we're less than a month away from Jet football and Giant football. Like, I can't, I can't forget about them. But we're we're le- we're less than a month away. Like, get like, get excited for that. We're 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 three weeks out. Three weeks out. Think think about that. So it's such a good time, especially because of the fact that baseball season is is over around here. So football season got started a little bit early because those teams can't get out of their own way. The, the Mets didn't play well in St. Louis today. Yankees managed to score five runs and still managed to lose because that's just what they're doing right now. But we'll we'll get back we'll get to that on the other side of the break, which we're going to take right now. Uh, we'll be back in a couple minutes. You're listening to Sport WGBB Sports Talk 1240. We'll be right back. Sports Talk New York. 
Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. And we're back for the second half hour, two of WGBB Sports Talk New York here on 1240 AM and 95.9 FM. I'm Andy Subhoff. And before I start the second half of the show, always got to give a shout-out to my man behind the glass, Brian Graves. Brian, how we doing? I, I can't start the second half of the show without getting my thumbs up from Brian. So I'm always appreciative of that. Uh, quick update from Williamsport, where the Washington Nationals and the Philadelphia Phillies are playing in the Little League Classic. Uh, the Nationals are up 4 nothing in the top of the ninth. I, I'm i a big fan of the fact that they that they play a game in Williamsport. The Little League World Series is a, is a fun thing for people. You, know, you get to watch the 11, 12, 13-year-olds who are... You know, some of those some of those players are going to make it to the majors. Some of them are never going to play again after high school, but you get to see the whole world come together, kind of like the much like the Olympics. But you see these kids who just genuinely love to play the game of baseball, and they they go out there, and it's it's fun time. You get some good memes, you know, like like Big Al hits dingers, or you get you get the stories like Danny Almonte and. On, the unfortunate circumstances that came after that, that they were lying about his age, but you get, you get a lot, you get a lot of really cool things coming from the little league world series. So now that MLB is playing a game in Williamsport every year, I, th- I think that's a, that's, that's a good way to get like some good cross promotion, you know, make have some of it focus on the kids themselves. I think that's a good idea. Just like, just like the game in the field of dreams game in Iowa, I, you know, where, or they play a game on a military base, MLB should be doing more of that. You know, they they, ha- they have a marketing problem. They don't they don't market their stars very well at all. But when you put it out there on a on a platform that other people will respond well to, you know, people watch the Little League World Series because they want to watch their kids play. People people love the movie Field of Dreams, so the the Field of Dreams game does well. They should be doing more of that and actively promoting the players that are in there. So, like, as I was, as I was watching the game before coming on tonight, they were talking with the Nationals and Phillies players, and they were basically asking questions to them, much like you would ask, you would ask a kid. You know, what's your favorite food? What's your favorite baseball movie? What's your, you know, fil- like, what was your favorite school subject in school? But like, th- like that's that's a way to market these players and show that they that they are. They are marketable to you as a business. You know, it doesn't have to just be Shohei Otani, who, as great as he is, like you have seven hundred other other players that you can that you can work with, and that should be in tandem with Otani. So I I think the Williamsport game is a fantastic idea, and I hope they continue to do it every year. Maybe the Yankees can go to Williamsport next year and. Play some of the thirteen-year-olds. That might be the only way they win. Uh, I mean, I, I, at least the, at least the kids are pitching better. I mean, uh, you you look at Luis Severino these days, and I, I think a little league kid might be able to get a hit off him. 
He even said himself, I'm the, I'm the worst pitcher in baseball, and I'm not inclined to disagree. They're on an eight, the Yankees are on an eight game losing streak. And that, that's unheard of for the Yankees. The last time they were on an eight game losing streak was August of 1995. The, the fact in 30, in almost 30 years, the Yankees hadn't been on a losing streak of this magnitude really goes to show volumes at how dysfunctional this year's team is. They're sitting at 60 and 64. They're in dead last in the, in the American League East, which when was the last time the Yankees were in last place in the American League East a week and a half from September? That's just not a thing that happens. Aaron Boone said in his post game, and I'm paraphrasing here a little bit, uh, we have to be unbelievable the rest of the season. No, what you've been doing the last two months is unbelievable. That you're telling me that the Yankees haven't won a series since June, and they've just crumbled down the standings. They are, I think, eight games out of a wild card spot. And now that they have three wild card teams. It's like it's like everybody make it's like everybody makes the playoffs and you're not going to. Like how, how is that happening? That that's something that just shouldn't be happening when you're the New York Yankees. And I know that sounds spoiled. That you know I I grew up watching the Yankees win four World Series in five in five years and consistently be in the in the ALCS, being in the World Series, winning them. So th- this is. This is uncharted territory for a large portion of Yankee fans that didn't experience the, the late 60s and the early 70s, that didn't experience the late 80s and the early 90s before things started to turn around. Like there, there is a good portion of us that haven't ever seen the Yankees struggle, and we don't know how to cope because all we all we know is – Winning, 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 World Series, winning, 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 World Series, ALCS, 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 lose to the Angels in the playoffs, World Series, winning, winning, winning. That's it. That That's all, I would say, like 70% of the current Yankee fan base does. That's, that's, all, that's all we know. So seeing them sit four games under 500 and looking completely listless at the plate, where they they've been outscored thirty two to seven in their last five games prior to today. That's unacceptable. You're talking about professional athletes that should at least be able to scratch across four runs a game. I I I know that you're I know that great pitching beats great hitting. You get no argument for me on that. I've watched the Yankees lose in the playoffs because of that because they forget how to hit against good pitchers. Like, you can beat up on the Royals. You can beat up on the on the Twins. You can beat up on the Tigers. But when it comes to playing the Astros and the Red Sox and the Rays and the Orioles, it doesn't, it doesn't work because you're playing better talent. And their pitching right now has just been flat out awful, especially their starting pitching. Yes, they've been dealing with injuries. Cortez has been out. Rodon has been out. That's turning into a colossal waste of money. Severino has been awful. Cole pitched a dud yesterday. And for the most part, Cole has been good, but it doesn't matter when nobody's scoring for him. You know, Clark Schmidt has been better of late. Like, basically, since May, Clark Schmidt has been one of their best pitchers. And 
this is the guy who was first ten starts had like a seven ERA, and he's become a respectable pitcher. I was, I was actually very surprised and pleased with that. But it just still goes to show that changes have to be made with this roster because you can't put the same team out there every year and expect a different result. It's like banging your head against the wall and not expecting to start bleeding out your ears. It just doesn't work. And changes are going to have to be made, and ideally it would be at the top, but we all know that the Steinbrenners are never, ever going to sell the team, so let's just cut it. We could just cut that one out. This is not going to happen. In a perfect world, Brian Cashman would get fired after the season because he's the one that's been putting these teams together and they wind up running into the same problems every year that no matter what they no matter who they bring in it just they hit they hit a wall and forget how to hit i guess in a perfect world he would be gone after the season but he just signed a four-year extension i don't think the steinbrenners are gonna fire him and eat that kind of money maybe after next year maybe they'd be more palatable to doing that but i don't think they're gonna want to pay two general managers for three years so it's going to come down to the manager. He's going to be the one who takes the fall for the general manager's incompetence. And at this point, managers don't have a lot of power. The lineups come from the analytics department. They they they're they're printing out who's who's making the lineup. The manager isn't doing that anymore. He's just going out there to yell at the umpire a few times, make a couple pitching changes, and some other clerical thing. But he he's not. He's not the field general that someone like a Joe Torrey was or, you know, like a Billy Martin. Like, that's not what Aaron Boone is. And that's fine. But they need somebody like that. Or they at least need somebody who, it, as long as if they're going to get the lineups from a, from a computer, they better, they better be the ones typing it in. You know, at least, at least have some input on that. Or, at minimum, have some input on roster construction because the way the team is constructed now just doesn't work. You have a lot of guys who can hit the ball a mile, but if they only do it once every 10 at-bats and the other nine at-bats, they're hitting weak rounders to second base, it doesn't, it doesn't matter if they hit that one home run every now and then. It's just... Not working. I, I I've been saying this since 2018, when they got smacked around in the playoffs by the Boston Red Sox, that they need to make they need to make changes because you can't you can't rely on home runs at all times because of it, sometimes they're just not going to come. And yes, a home run is the most efficient way to score runs because that's you can't catch it. Nobody can get thrown out. It's the ball over the fence. Not everybody can do that. Sometimes you need to find ways to manufacture runs in other ways. And you have to have a more balanced lineup to do that. You can't have every player swinging out of their shoes to hit the, try to hit the ball 450 feet because eventually you're going to strike out. And that's just the way it is. And as, we, as the game has changed over the last... 10, 12 years where analytics have taken a much more dominant hold on the way games are played, strikeouts don't mean anything anymore. And I believe that's wrong. 
Because if you strike out, nothing happens. You don't get on base. There's no throwing errors. There's nothing that can happen. It just goes. I want to see I want to see a team that plays more situationally and you know puts the ball in play more often. And I I really thought that banning the shift would have been beneficial to that. And the Yankees just continue to run to the the same problems over and over again. And it it gets boring. Like watching the Yankees the last three or four years is boring. Because, you know, when when they're on and they're driving in 10 runs a game, yeah, it's fine. But people go cold after a while. We saw after Anthony Rizzo got hurt, he had two months where he couldn't barely put bat on the ball. And if you're just watching player after player after player just strike out, strike out, ground out, pop fly, and nothing's happening, nobody's on base, that's not exciting to watch as a baseball fan. And that was one of the biggest problems, aside from the pace of play, that fans have, that nothing's happening. There's a lot of standing around, and if nobody's on base, then there's going to be even more standing around, but in the dugout and not on the base path. They need to find somebody, and more than one somebody, that gets on base and makes things happen. I don't need to see an entire team of Giancarlo Stanton's. Stanton's a great home run hitter. But ever since he's gotten to the Yankees, he hasn't been a good hitter. And I I don't want to hear about his OPS and his OPS plus and all that. I see a guy who strikes out 175 times a year. I don't consider, I don't value that as a hitter. Yes, he'll hit his 40 home runs when he's healthy, but he's hitting he's hitting under 200. And you're gonna put that guy in the four spot in the lineup. I just I find that ridiculous, and I don't I don't understand how teams can logically do that. Or like today when they had Jake Bowers hitting in that spot. And this is not a knock on Jake Bowers. He's a professional athlete. He can hit the ball way further than you, me, or anybody that's listening can. But that, but that guy should not be hitting cleanup for the New York Yankees in August. How that came to be, I have no idea. But like, like something has to change because the culture there is just not working for anybody right now and it's and the fans are getting upset so i ultimately think that aaron boone will be fired at the end of the year but until further changes are made i don't know if bringing a new manager is really going to do anything because the players that are on the roster right now a lot of them are locked in long term with money that can't be moved contracts that can't be moved and we could see them running it back next year with a very similar roster. I mean, we know Garrett Cole's not going anywhere. Carlos Rodon's not going anywhere. And assuming that Rodon is healthy next season, which we all hope he is, like they, he and Cole should be the one-two in the starting rotation. But now what are you going to do with the lineup to surround Aaron Judge, who's now going to be one year older, going into his age 32 season, 
So like, like this is this is an older roster. Like, Rizzo's in his thirties. Stanton's in his thirties. Judge is in his thirties. Lemayhu is in his mid thirties. I, like this, they, this isn't the baby bombers of 2017 anymore, where Judge was 25 and Torres was 23. Like, like this is a very, very different roster. And do, do you remember back in 2017 when people would talk about the baby bombers and how the infield now was supposed to be Gary Sanchez, a catcher, as an all-star, Greg Bird at first base, Basically being just like a left-handed hitting god. Glaber Torres at second or at short, either one. Most likely at short, and they were going to put Peraza at second. And then have Miguel Andahar at short, or at third. And Volpe wasn't even a thing yet, but like now Volpe would be the everyday shortstop. And then having an outfield of Aaron Judge, Clint Frazier, and Esteban Florial. Like you remember, remember when the, t- when the Yankee roster was supposed to look like that? In 2023 and 2022, and the Yankees were going to have won World Series from like 2020 until the end of time because they would have just like kept churning out all these great prospects. Unfortunately, none of them really, outside of Judge and to a lesser extent, Gleyber Torres, none of these prospects have hit as well as the Yankees would have expected. Frazier, Frazier washed out from the Yankees and went to the Cubs and I, we haven't heard from him since. Florial is just toiling away in AAA. Never really got a chance, and like that one, I kind of feel bad for him. Like I, I, I would have liked to have seen him get a chance, but if he, if he's never going to get up there, then just they should have moved him three years ago. Bird kept getting hurt, so that wound up blowing up right in their face. Gary Sanchez was good, but he couldn't play defense, and then. I don't know if that impacted his hitting or he just started focusing on hitting home runs and then he started hitting 127, which you, it, you if you're going to be a bad catcher defensively, you better be a good hitter. And he wasn't. Like, he'd run into one every now and then, but then he would still hit, like, one, he would hit very low. So, I, like, to me, that's not a person you want behind the plate. Where a guy like Mike Piazza, yeah, Mike Piazza couldn't throw out, couldn't throw out my grandmother, but he hit 310. And hit 37 home runs. So, that would make up for it. And, with, and seeing all that, and now, and now the, the top 10, the top 10 farm systems was just released recently. And the Yankees aren't in the top 10 there either. So, they have a dearth of prospects. It's just not like teams aren't, like, they're not, they're not developing prospects the way they should. You know, Jason Dominguez, who's their next top guy that like everybody's fawning over, he's still a couple years away. Austin Wells is probably a year or two away. Uh, Peraza can't make his way back up for an extended period. Oswaldo Cabrera hasn't been good when he when he's been up. He's hitting around two hundred. You know, the, 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 this is that's a serious issue that needs to be thoroughly investigated with may, maybe an overhaul in scouting or. You know your development system that that just really needs that needs an overhaul. Like, basically, the easiest way to put it, the Yankees need an enema. They need they need a cleansing, all over. Like even the even the fans like the fans are upset, which they have every right to be. Uh, some of the fans even 
have managed to arrange a fire cashman night where I forgot what section it is. It's in the 200s. That they're all going to be up. They're going to be up there just holding signs that says fire cashman with probably with custom made shirts and all that. And I imagine the Yankees are aware of that potentially happening. And I'm sure they're going to do everything in their power to make sure that they don't get any kind of airtime. They don't get any kind of publicity out of it. But the fact of the matter is, the fans are frustrated. And the more frustrated they get, the fewer are going to go. It may not matter for this year, because the tickets are already sold. The Steinbrenner's already got that money, so it doesn't matter. Like They're still going to announce sellouts of 46000 They're still going to get their chicken buckets sold. But that's when they're really going to notice, is when there's leftover chicken buckets. And the fans aren't coming because you don't give them a product that's worthwhile to see. And that and that's comes from that comes from the top, where there's and seems like an unwillingness to make the changes that need to be made. And I don't know if it's out of loyalty to Cashman because he was he was George's guy. And maybe that's like the last vestige of the George era and like they don't want and maybe Hal doesn't want to get rid of him because then any other decision that gets made after that is now all on him, and he he can't use the excuse of well I didn't hire that guy because once once you get rid of the general manager and you hire one like that's your guy, and I I think to an extent Cashman is a Hal guy as well because otherwise he otherwise he would have let him go after this past season and not given him the extension. But it's it's just it's weird watching the Yankees just not be the Yankees. I I I find myself watching fewer and fewer games as the season goes because I can basically tell you how the game goes. They give up a run early, they don't score until like the seventh inning, but by that point they're already down like four nothing or four one. And they don't have they don't have the pieces to to make those comebacks. So like, why am I gonna waste two and a half three hours of my time when I could be doing something else? And I'm gonna go sit and watch them. Nah. Like I was, like I was, I was gonna go watch them today, and I I couldn't find them on TV. And I was like, I, like are they on Apple TV today? Are they on Prime? And I went looking. I saw they were on Prime. Like. Okay, yeah, they're on Prime. Probably for the best. Fewer people are going to watch and not going to have to watch them lose another game. So I wound up watching the Mets instead. And I watched them lose another game. And when I look at them, I just see... I just see... I don't even know... can't even describe what I see from next... That, like, that was like... That was a team that had such great expectations going into the year... They bring in Verlander, and you have a one-two of Scherzer and Verlander, both surefire Hall of Famers. You have Pete Alonso, you got Lindor, and you got you got a good team, and it just falls apart right out of the gate. And then by June, they're out of it. By July, they're sellers, and that's that's where they're at. And they need they're bringing up some of these prospects, and they're not 
performing the way they need to be. Like we we haven't really even seen Ronnie Mauricio yet. I, fans are clamoring for him. They want to see what he's about. Like Vientos got hurt, so he he's out for a little bit. Beatty hasn't been very good. Like that. They're relying on, just like the Yankees were relying on all those prospects five, six years ago, the Mets are relying on all these prospects to to build them up. And if only one of them pans out, then they're back at square one. But luckily for them, they have an owner who doesn't really care that money's an object. And to him, money's not an object. I, uh, you, you, could just throw, you could just throw more millions of dollars at things to make problems go away like i i would like to do that like i would like to be like hey here's 10 million dollars like you know hit 370 for me like i i, I want to do that obviously i can't but we're, we're at a we're at a time in new york baseball there things just don't look good and i don't know who's going to escape out of it faster because both teams have problems, and they're both different problems, and I don't think either one is particularly easy to to fix overnight. And I don't, I don't, I don't expect them to fix it overnight. I like for the Yankees, I believe it's a multi-year process of getting a philosophy change in the building. You know, getting some getting some new voices in there who you know haven't been a part of the organization before, like. Get get somebody with like with an independent thought. Now, like I saw on Twitter the other day asking, "Would you want to see Theo Epstein be the next general manager of the Yankees?" Uh, yeah, absolutely. I know he's not coming. I don't expect him to come, but a man can dream. Like, like if Theo Epstein went and won a World Series with the Red Sox, the Cubs, and the Yankees, like he could just own Cooperstown at that point. I mean, he's he's already got it. He's already got his own wing built for him, like. They they could basically rename the museum after him at this point, but like if he just wanted to come to the Yankees and add on another World Series with them, like you know, like don't don't let me stop you, Theo. Like you 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 want to rebuild the Yankees? Like please, by all means, go for it. I'm gonna I'm gonna pivot away from baseball because that's just it's just making me sad now, and I want to talk about last night at UFC 292 up in Boston. Uh, Local fighter Aljamain Sterling, the at the defending bantamweight champion, unfortunately lost to Sugar Sean O'Malley by a second round TKO. And I I want to see I want to see Sterling get a rematch. I believe that a- after defending the title a couple times, you should get an automatic rematch. Like obviously, if you lose the title on your first defense, if you don't get the rematch, I don't not too broken up. But he had a couple defenses. He like he beat Henry Cejudo a few months ago, and it was Cejudo's first fight in a few years. You know, O'Malley is a is a very popular fighter. People like him. You know, he's big. He's got a good reach for someone who comes in at 135 pounds. Like he's bigger than everybody in that division. So it's, it's like when like when you see like a school bully kind of like hold their hand out over your head while you're trying to go after them, and you can't get you can't get to them because He's just that much bigger than you are. That that's what Sean O'Malley is to the bantamweight division, and that could that could mean he's going to have a very sustained run 
in the division. And and there's a lot of good fighters that are in that division that can challenge him for the championship, including a rematch with, with Sterling. We can see Corey Sanhagen. We can see Cheeto Vera. And over the years, we've, we've seen a lot of good Bantamweight champions. Like, we saw Dominic Cruz win the Bantamweight championship and hold it for a while. You know, we saw TJ Dillashaw win it. Like, the, like there's been... Uh, there's been a lot of good fighters that came out of out of the 135 pound weight class, and O'Malley could potentially have the longest sustained run with that, because there there isn't somebody in the division who's as big as he is, and that could, that could be that could be a big boost to his career. And maybe after a while, if he wants to go up to 145 and try his bout, try his like a featherweight, I think that could work for him too. Because I think he would, I think that would actually be a very good challenge for him. But he's still got several years before that's going to happen because he's still got a lot of people in the 135 weight class that he can fight. And I, I'm interested to see where he goes next. He called out Cheeto Vera, because Vera is the only one who gave him a loss on his record. I'd like to see Sterling. Uh, guys in the ESPN said they wanted to see Sanhagen when he comes back from injury. So like, everybody's got a little bit of a different opinion. And I want you to tell me what you think. You can hit me up on X at Andy underscore Sukov and tell me who, who you think Sean O'Malley should fight next. Do you think it should be an automatic rematch? you think it should be somebody else? you think it, maybe, maybe it's somebody that I haven't even thought of. But... I would like, I want to see Sterling get it back, represent New York, represent Long Island, and be be a good champion for the UFC like he had been for over a year. That's just about going to do it for me because I've, I've been rambling for the last 35 minutes. I want to, of course, thank Antoine Staley from the Daily News for joining us today. Uh, got to thank my man Brian Graves behind the glass. Thank all of you for listening. I'll be back on again at some point soon. We'll be talking some football. You know, hopefully we're talking the Jets being six and one and the Giants being six and one and we're talking about them getting ready for a good division showdown or even their own matchup in late October. I can't wait for that one. But in the meantime, we have we have them playing on Saturday in the preseason where just let nobody get hurt. That's all I ask for. But that's going to do it for me now. I'm Andy Sukoff. Have a good night, everyone. expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.